I, I don't know how often you think about it, but every single day, you probably come into contact with somebody who's thought about giving up. Who, who said inwardly, may not have courage enough to say it, but they're thinking, I've had enough. Every single day. And, and you ought to find yourself trying to encourage people when you see them. You don't always have to say anything. Sometimes you can just smile. Just smile and let them know that somebody cares about them. Somebody's thinking about them. You don't always have to quote a verse. You might not even have a verse to quote. But just let them know, I'm positive in your presence. And I want you to know that I care about what you're going through. I don't have to hug you. I don't have to touch you. I don't have to talk to you. But you ought to sense from me that things are okay. And that's why if you can't motivate yourself, just remember, don't give up. Just hold on. And if I'm talking to somebody in here today, I came to this service just for you today. It might not have been for anybody else. Everybody else may have come for form or for fashion, but today you came to get your message. And I came to tell you that the Lord cares about you. He loves you, and he knows what's going on with you, and there's nothing going on in your life that you and the Lord can't handle together. Nothing. So be aware of that. Love people even without talking to people. Just be with them. Be in their presence. Yeah. Perfect song. Thank you. Thank you for that. It's a reminder for all of us who take a day for granted. Take our life situation for granted. I'm a living witness. Living witness how quickly things can change in your life. I mean, in the space of a few minutes, your life can go from all right to uh-oh. Just be aware that the Lord knows you in the all right moments, and he showed up knows you in the uh-oh moments. And he will absolutely be with you. I'm not trying to prolong this moment. I just know that somebody needed to hear that today and maybe it was yeah maybe it was somebody sitting next to you you haven't reached out and touched and talked to or looked their way today God bless you today for being here with us started last week with a sermon series that I believe hits this time of year particularly um, well, specifically, it's this time of year. Anybody that's an athlete knows what these next couple of months are. This is rivalry time. People get together. Rivalries uh, occur. Just last evening, we were fortunate enough to be at Legion Field for a rivalry between uh, one of the oldest matchups in, in, in football, at least from an HBCU perspective. Uh, and that is... Uh, uh, we, 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 we saw Tuskegee University uh, come against Morehouse College. And aside from the game, that's not important. The fellowship that's gone on all these years. And while there may be rivalry on the field, there is camaraderie off the field. So much has changed since the first time those teams got together. The world is different. 
and yet the fellowship remains the same. And if we go through, if we go through and catalog each of the, 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 the kinds of rivalries we've had in the past, of course we have athletic contests that you, you can remember. Um, some uh, have been famous. Uh, uh, I grew up in a time when, when, when the sport of boxing had more prominence than it does now. I always thought it was particularly brutal, but it was certainly attention getting. And uh, when you had people on the scene like uh, Muhammad Ali, that was uh, something to see how he would uh, uh, market himself. I think that's probably the best way to do it. Not just him, even in the time of Mike Tyson, his uh, different acting self. I mean, yeah, anybody who was around at that time. In hindsight, people don't know how big these people were. They, they don't know how much time and attention it captivated America and the world when they were on the scene. It was a, it was a big deal. There's a reason why everybody in the world was watching the thriller from Manila. There's a reason why those things happened. There's a reason why um, there was such a, a dynasty between um, basketball greats, Magic and Larry Bird. There's a, people wanted to see them get together. These folk actually... The generation today is benefiting from the hard work that was paid then, them elevating the sport to where it is. And what's amazing about it is those boys got paid a tenth of the money that they get paid today for doing that. And yet they laid the foundation um, for what's happening right now. But it wasn't just, it wasn't just in athletics. It was also um, marketing, branding, you know, um, when I was when I was growing up, and I make it seem like seem like it was so long ago, but let me just say in the seventies and eighties that I was coming in, into uh, adulthood, uh, it wasn't unusual for Burger King always to talk about McDonald's. I never understood why in marketing themselves you got to call other folks' names and you're doing that. It's the silliest thing in the world to me. All you're doing is giving them free advertising, and it's also saying I'm not as good as you when I keep talking about you. And so you can see that over and over again. Um, Xerox, IBM. Now we now we got Apple and what is it? Is it Apple and Android? It just goes on and on. There's always some kind of rivalry, but most of the time, because of marketing, people make you think that there's a there's a conflict when there really isn't a conflict. I found that to be true in the Bible. All right. And today we're going to go into a second space of looking at different classic rivalries in the Bible so that we can see what kind of lessons can come from them because there's, there's, the Bible is here for instruction as well. And so I want us to be able to learn something from the rivalries that people have. Um, last week, I thought we had a particularly good conversation talking about perhaps one of the best known rivalries, and that is David and Goliath, the little man and the big man. We talked about how David maneuvered that and how Goliath overesteemed his ability. Amen. That's still happening today. Today, we're going to take a little different turn. I'm going to tell you, this might get a little personal for you when we start talking about it. We're going to go to the book of Genesis, written by Moses. We're going to go to the fourth chapter, if you know a little bit about the Bible. You know we're not too far into the creation story and what God started. We've got to be dealing with the first family. And if we're dealing with the first family, 
then perhaps we're dealing with the most significant rivalry between siblings you'll ever see. Today we're going to talk about Cain and Abel. Before we get started, I got a video clip I want you to see that's going to frame, I think it'll help frame our discussion. Let me say this at the outset. Uh, you know, I can't always, when I'm looking for video enhancement, this clip might have a profane word in it. I'm just going to tell you. But it ain't like Oakland Church don't cuss. Right, I mean, I know you don't. I know you don't. I'm talking about other churches. Yeah. No, replaced by another black man. Hey, you tell me what that means. Don't worry about it, Randall. No, please, Kevin, let's hear it, right? What are you harboring? Because God knows I would really love to hear this. You always got special treatment. Because I'm black? No, because you're black and you're adopted. Oh, yeah. Hit the jackpot with that combination. Couldn't have had it any easier. In our house, you did. With our mother, you did. All right. Okay, here we go. But can't you just admit it, man? Admit what? Just admit that you were more important to her. And that she wanted to make sure that you felt special every single minute of every single day so that you wouldn't feel like the odd man out. See, Kevin, I wonder why she was worried about me feeling them. What does that mean? Just go back to your hotel. No. No, hold on, Randall. Hold on. No, what does that mean? It means you treated me like a dog. And just like a dog, I kept coming back again and again, just hoping for a scrap from you, like a crumb of affection, kindness, Respect. Respect? You wanted my respect? Yeah. Yeah, okay. No, you wanted to show me up, Randall, which is what you did every single chance you got. No, you showed me up. I'm done with this conversation. Done with this conversation. Any other family? I would have been the star. You know what, bro? You're no star. That is a star. Get your hands, get your hands off me. You don't push my body. Don't touch me. What is wrong? What is wrong with you? My God. Don't put your hands off my body. Oh, Kevin! Hey, Kevin! You all right, man? Do you want me to call someone? Oh, oh, so, uh, no. It's my brother. Oh, hey, man. Hey, Seth Mark. Okay. Yeah. So this clip is from a TV show you've never seen before. Very popular TV show these days called This Is Us. This Is Us. Um, for those of you who've never seen it before, and I don't watch that show, so the clip is new to me, but uh, I thought it proved the point for us and help us with our, with our, with our discussion today. Um, the two main characters there uh, are brothers, Kevin and Randall. And uh, Randall is adopted. Not only is he adopted, he's black. And a lot of the storylines supporting the, sto the show flow from the conflict in, that can naturally come out of those relationships. Uh, him being in a multiracial situation uh, creates a lot of, uh, a lot of problems. So I think it lays a foundation for us. And if you'll let me read the scripture that we're going to use as a foundation, starting uh, at verse 1 uh, of chapter 4 in Genesis, if you haven't gotten there yet. Um, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruit of the soil as an offering to the Lord. 
And Abel was also, I mean, Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, well, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? And I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground. Now you are, un now you are under a curse and driven from the ground. Put a pen in that. Which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. I'm going to stop reading there. Clearly, I wasn't reading from the King James Version, which is much more poetic, but I think this one was clearer for us to understand it. Sibling rivalry. Sibling rivalry. I'm not asking anybody in here to admit it. This is, this is not what that's about today. But you, you know, I wonder how many of us had rivals as our sibling. Not something that people will automatically admit. That you were jealous of your brother or your sister. That you had conflict. Or you just didn't like them. Flat out. Just don't like them. Ain't not my friend, you know. Um, none of my friends have my last name. I mean, you know, that, that, that. How many people are in this space where you just don't get along with your sibling? Sibling rivalry is defined by um, Miriam Webster as the competition between siblings especially for the attention, affection, and approval of their parents. Competition between siblings, children who are born from the same or common parents, especially for the attention, approval, or affection of those parents. Now, some of this might not be complicated for you because maybe some of y'all didn't like your mom and dad either. So, you know, you didn't care about getting their approval. I mean, that, that, of course, complicates the situation a wee bit. But the truth of the matter is, if we are honest with ourselves, there may have been a time or two when we may have felt ourselves in a space where we weren't exactly the best of friends with people who grew up in the house with us. Now, if that's the case, then don't consider yourself the outsider because the Bible is the with instances where this happened. Of course, we're talking about Cain and Abel today, but we also know that there was a conflict between Jacob and Esau. 
in the Bible. And that created lifelong consequences for both of them. Um, they had been fighting literally since before they were born. All right, and they were twins. They were twins. Then there was a conflict between Joseph and his brother. You remember Joseph, the fair-haired child, whom daddy loved so much that he gave a special coat to. He bought it, he bought him a members only jacket. <laughs> Nobody else had a members only jacket. And that's a, all right. Clearly that reference is old. You remember them? You too, John. Remember no members on it. Yeah. They probably gonna bring it back like it's new. Yeah. They probably already have, haven't they? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So his brothers were so jealous of him that they actually sold him into slavery and told his daddy that he had been killed. And then if we look in the book of Numbers, we're told of the resentment that Miriam had toward her brother Moses. Uh, imagine that. She felt she'd been left out of all of the big things that had been happening. And so she was, she was jealous of him. But clearly the one we're talking about today is the most famous of them. So the Bible has um, stories, but, but, but we can't always draw all the specific meanings out of them. But I think there are a lot of things in this story about Cain and Abel that might hit home for us. So let me give you some, some background on it. Adam means Adam, the father of all of them. Um, and it's interesting because this is the first family. The first family in the Bible comes out the gate with so many issues that we can teach for a lifetime just dealing with the first family. God created Adam and named him Adam, which means earth. And he named him that because he was formed from the dirt of the ground. And Eve means life. Her name means life. And that's because she was the mother of everything that was living. And then we get to Cain and Abel. And their, their names had meanings, too, that are important. For example, Cain means acquired because Eve said, I've gotten a man from God. All right. Now, you need to understand this. This is after the fall. So things are ragged between God and Eve and Adam. And God's not happy with them. But not, but 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 know this, even though he's not happy with them, he hasn't stopped allowing his favor to fall on them. And in the space of his favor, he allows them to conceive. Now think about this. God, the creator of everything, put everything into being, and then he gave agency to Adam and Eve and gave the duties of further creation to them. What a powerful thing that is. It must have made Eve, who knew she was in trouble because she went to that tree and convinced Adam to come in there, it must have given her the notion that we're getting things back together again with God, if you ever could, because the relationship had been torn asunder. God has given me a man. I've acquired a man from him. And so can you imagine how spoiled Cain was? As the one that God has given to Eve, he probably couldn't scuff his knee. She probably was around him all the time. She probably made sure that he was good. Now this is a little 
you know, this is a little Andreism in this. Now, I'm telling you, I think that she would have been a much loved child. Not that every child shouldn't be loved, but under the circumstances of the relationship with God, I'm believing that Adam and Eve doted on Cain. Bible doesn't say that, but I think it's a reasonable assumption. He knew he was loved, and perhaps even the fair-haired child. And then you can see him, his personality coming out based on his involvement with his parents, because Adam was the one who was given the job by God to take care of everything, to take care of the ground and all the animals. And here we have Cain, who becomes what? He becomes a farmer. He does what his daddy does. When I grow up, I'm going to be just like my dad, Adam. That's what, can't you see him doing that? And so he becomes a farmer. And Cain is the embodiment of their relationship with the Lord. And then along comes Abel. Abel is born. And the word Abel has a number of meanings. But one of the meanings that is largely thrown about by theologians is that it means to act emptily or vain, vapor or breath is what it means. In, in, in a negative sense, it means it doesn't have much substance to it, something very close to nothing. Now, now, now why in the world? After Cain comes, a, a man I got from God, which they name Abel, something that does not have much significance. Emptiness. Nothingness, Cass. Why would you put that name on that child? Posit this. Because I got Cain. And Cain is the connector between me and God and Oh, yeah, here comes Abel. But I already got Cain. I got Cain. And, and, and because I got Cain, we okay. We back with God. And, and then here comes that second child. Now, let me see if I can make this today relevant. Yeah. How many of y'all on your first child put bumper guards around them? Read everything in the book about raising children. And when your folk came over there, you said, hold on. Go in the bathroom, wash your hands, put on the number five gloves in there, not the number three, put the number five gloves on, and then you can sit down and you can feed the precious. I know somebody here know what I'm talking about. You went all in in parenting on number one, and it flat wore you out because every day you were up doing something, you were making their own baby food, Bought all the little baby food, making stuff and straining. All of that. Ain't nothing wrong with that. All I'm saying is by the time number two came. Good gracious. You didn't have all that time or energy. And if the truth be told, you can say it in church. Desire to do all that. And you would just sit the baby in the dirt, number two. You'll be all right. We'll watch it. We'll skeet him off with the hose. That's Abel. That's Abel. Abel comes along and he's not Cain. Guess who knows who Cain is? Cain. Cain knows his place in the family. He knows 
how mom and dad are loving him and dote over, over him. He knows that. But what does it do? Now, Andre, you, 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 none of this is in scripture. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, in your sanctified mind, you can see this happening. All right, coming to the sanctified mind with me. Guess what Abel had to grow up doing, Sam? Working harder, doing more. He had to do it by the letter just to get attention from mom and dad. Somebody here know what I'm talking about. Somebody here knows what it is because the firstborn baby could just go through the motions. You sit down, you teach them how to color, and they just, and then they pass it up to mom and dad, and they say, oh, how wonderful that is. That's magnificent. What a great chicken you call it. Isn't that great? I've never seen a green chicken before, but this is the best green chicken I've ever seen. And then they take that and they put it, you know, I don't know where they put the pictures back in that day, probably on the tree next to the lake or whatever. They put it up there. Yeah, we put it on the refrigerator. And then here comes Abel who has sat down. You can just see him. He stayed in the line. Didn't do anything, went, debated whether he should use crayons or acrylic paint to put his chicken together. And it comes out, it looks better than a Rembrandt. And when he passes it in, all he gets is, yeah, it looks good. Looks good. And it goes on the refrigerator up under, even though it's the best one. Guess what? Abel knows his place, but he also develops a skill set. He learns how to do it right. He learns how, if I'm going to seek approval and get approval, remember that. Because in the end, every one of us wants the approval of the one who is over us. We're seeking that. We're trying to make that happen. And Abel realizes, I got to get to God and Kittle. So here comes the time for offering because Abel would have, I mean, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, Adam would have raised his family with a fear and reverence of the Lord. And he would have made sure that they understood that at a certain point, we got to bring an offering to the Lord. And he would have had an example of that. And so it stands to reason that his boys who were out there working hard, came becomes a farmer. And the other part of his personality is where Abel flows, maybe because it's solitary and he can do his thing. He becomes a shepherd. Yeah, so both of the boys get something from the daddy. They just get it differently and they work it differently. And so it's time to make an offering. And because it works for mama and daddy, it seems that Cain gathers something up and brings it to the Lord and says, here, here, Lord, this is what I want to give you. And so does his brother Abel. But his brother Abel who has the color within the line, goes out and instead of just getting something, he gets his best. He gets the first. He gets the fat. The fat means the best in the flock. That's what it means in scripture. When he talks about him getting of the fatted lamb, he's getting the best he's got in there. And he decides, I'm not just going to give something. I'm going to give my best to the Lord. And he brings the best. And when he gets there, guess who gets the attaboy? It's the one who brings his best. I hope you hear me in this now. I hope you understand where I'm going because what works for mom and dad, it won't necessarily work for the Lord. Okay, and he gives, he gives his best to the Lord and the Lord is necessarily pleased. And he says, excellent job, Abel. And when Cain sees that he is not 
getting the fair treatment that he's used to getting, he is upset. And guess who he's upset with? He's upset with God. Because God does not give him celebration. And God, watch me now, follow me on this. God's not mad at Cain when he sees that Cain is upset. He's not. The scripture doesn't say anything about him being upset. Cam, it doesn't say it. It just says he tried to teach him. He says to him, Cain, why are you upset? He said, if you do what is right and you do what is well-pleasing, you too will get the celebration. In other words, he's teaching him. You know what he says in 2022? Do better. Do better. Not just do better, do right. And if you do better and you do right, you get the celebration. But to Abel, he was already pleased because Abel had already reached and gotten his best and gave it, and he gave the reward for it. Cain couldn't take it. Because he couldn't take it, he poured over and over because he couldn't figure out what was working before, why it won't work anymore. He couldn't understand that thing. Well, if it's good enough for these folks, why is it not good enough for God? And so he figures that his problem is external to him. It cannot be me because I'm doing the same thing I've been doing and getting a different result. So it must be, and here we go, that somebody's in my way. And the one who's in my way is my brother. And so, come on, man, let me, let's go out here and have a talk. We've been, we've been needing to talk for a while. You know we don't really hang no more. So they went out to the field, and, and when they got there, anger got the best of them. We'll say it that way. But I believe it was premeditated. I believe he took him out there to do what he was going to do with him. I don't think it was just a fit of anger because he was angry from the time God dealt with him. He never stopped being angry. And can I tell you, when he killed his brother, he still was angry. Because getting rid of Abel did nothing to change his circumstance with respect to his sibling. And I came to tell you today, I didn't see it when you walked in the door today, but some of y'all still angry at your sibling. And some of y'all haven't physically laid hands on them, but you've been killing them. Oh, yeah, you've been killing them in the family. You've been running down their reputation. Yeah, you don't want to hear nothing they have to say. You won't even lift them up in front of their children when they come around. They still got the opportunity to be a part of their life. Why? Because you're still dealing with this rivalry you have. This came to me as I was studying this message, and then I'm going to give you some points and I'm going to get out of here. Nowhere in Scripture does it say in this passage, these 12 verses that we went through, not one place does it ever say that Abel was mad at Cain. So this was not a rivalry. No, because Abel never considered Cain anything but his brother. The conflict came strictly because of the jealousy which emanated from Cain. And it created all of the problems associated with this relationship. All of the problems came. And so that's my, my, my for most conflict is, first of all, grounded in false expectations. Most conflict. We can go back. I don't need to do the psychology of that. But most of the time, you upset.
because you expected a response that you did not get. And it creates controversy based on the fact that you didn't get what you think you deserve. Cain thought he deserved attaboys and celebration from God. And when he did not get that, he was mad. He was mad because he had already in his mind determined. I don't want to hear me say this, but I'm going to say it. I deserve that. I deserve that. Now, I don't know what the basis of him thinking he deserves it is, other than the fact that he's already gotten, he's always gotten a celebration. But he thinks, based on what I'm doing, I deserve top shelf treatment. And when he didn't get it, the Bible says clearly he was downcast. So much so, you know, walking around, jaws stuck together. You know how to, you know how we get when we get upset. You can tell when your child is upset. And you can especially tell when you keep saying, what's wrong? When you got to keep asking them, what's wrong? When their natural personality comes, their natural personality doesn't come out. They, they're acting in a way that is different than the way they normally act. And you know how you know, because you did the same thing. When your folk used to ask you, what's wrong? Nothing. You know something wrong. The reason your mom or your dad is asking you what's wrong is because you'd normally be around the house whistling or skipping or talking or singing, and now you're just sitting over in the corner acting like you're reading the Bible. Yeah. Nah. Yeah, what you say is written all over your face. You don't have to say a word. You don't have to say a word. Most conflict is grounded in false expectations. That's the problem. Our expectations. We have made up in our mind how it's supposed to be. Conflict between husband and wives, same thing. I've decided that I deserve to be treated a certain way, and when your actions fall below that, even though you haven't communicated that to me, when it falls below that level of expectation, I'm upset. And we have to work through this. So it doesn't just work in sibling rivalry. The nuts and bolts come down to, you write this down, I got to get over I deserve. I got to get over I deserve. The Bible says, you don't really want what you deserve. Not according to scripture. You don't want what you deserve. Alright? Because if you got what you deserve, then this would be a whole different conversation. Bible says that the wages of sin is death. We all deserve death, and yet we've been given the gift of eternal life behind that. Now, this is obviously Cain and Abel weren't in that space yet, but guess what? They were in a way because they were dealing with the same God. And God hasn't changed his formula of dealing with people. He simply revealed it to all of us, that this is how we have to operate. So the same mercy that comes from God for us today was available to Cain and Abel that, at that time. If they simply had, if Cain simply had asked for it, and it makes matters worse that God had personally taught him what was expected of him and told him, when you do that, you'll get a blessing. So not only does conflict come from false expectation, you should know this, coveting praise that belongs to another leads to conflict. Coveting praise 
that belongs to somebody else leads to another. I'm going to step out from behind the pulpit, and so I want you to see me because I want you to hear me when I say this. What God has for you is for you. You do not have to worry about somebody else getting praise because there's enough praise to go around. If you do your part right, then it will come to you. So when you stand back and you're upset because somebody else is standing at the front of the line, the problem is not the person standing at the front of the line. The person is you. It's you. It's simply not your day to be the line leader. All right? It's not your day. Now, you might think it takes too long for your day to come, but that's something you need to look introspectively at. What else must I do? Stop raising your children to expect celebration when they give less than their best. We are raising a generation of children who do not put out maximum effort, but they expect maximum benefit. It is not sustainable. All right, and they get mad and they quit and they move to the next place, and they do the same thing, and they get the same result, and they get mad, and they quit. Let me put it in the cane way. They get mad, and they kill that job. And then they go to another job, and they get mad, and they kill that job. And when they kill that job, they kill all the relationships that go with them. Because they haven't done their best, but yet they expect everybody else in the orbit to give them the best that they have. And what God is saying is, doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. And then you see somebody who's been scraping and scrapping since the moment they got here. They're not begging for attention. They're just begging to be relevant. And that comes about as success. Success. You get mad at that, that the person is getting more success because they're putting their best out. And they don't feel like they have to apologize because all they've done is their best. And why do you ever have to apologize for doing your best? You don't. Coveting praise that belongs to another leads to conflict. Look at this. Look at this. In this clip that I showed you, the reason I showed it to you is because it's a real context. He said, he said, in any other family, I would have been the star. That's what Kevin said to Randall. He said, you were the star. Every day, mama and daddy made you feel like you were a winner. They made you feel, they didn't want you to have a day when you didn't feel appreciated or accepted. So in his mind, that must have meant because they're giving you all this energy, then they were taking it from me. That's what Kevin was saying. And Randall gave it back to him as poetically as you ever could. He said, I wonder why they had to do that. Because they saw all them side-eye looks you gave me. They saw when it wasn't but one piece of pie left and they gave it to me, and you got mad, even though you had already had a piece of pie. But you still got mad because I got the last piece 
a pie. Kevin could never see his own actions in relationship to his brother Randall because he loathed him so much because he displaced him as a fair-haired child in the family, in his opinion. We're talking about Cain and Abel here. And so because of that, he had effectively killed their relationship until they got to that place. And he coveted the praise. He said, I would have been a star or the star in any other family. And his brother Randall said to him, look up, almost theological. He said, look up. Now, what you can't see in that clip is that they were standing outside of a theater and Kevin had just lost a part to somebody else. He wasn't chosen for a part. And what his brother was saying to him, look up. And he pointed to the name of the person who had won. And he said, that's a star. <laughs> You're not the star. In other words, what he's saying, theologically, I want to tell you this, is you need to start teaching folk to look up. Because somebody better than you is the one that we have to follow. And when we start pointing our children to the someone who's better, now the Bible is pretty clear on who that someone better is from our context, it's Jesus. He sets the standard. And when you follow his standard, then you're going to be all right. But when you think you deserve, you ought to get, and it falls short of your best, then you're only deceiving yourself. And you're deceiving them as well. And why you would put your children in that space, I don't know. The Bible is clear. Isaiah 42 and 12 says, let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise. In the coastlands, everything, including us, must give praise to God. We have to learn how to praise him properly first. Everything should give glory to his name. But look at this. We are conditioned by our nature to desire praise. But according to this passage of scripture, it's pretty clear. God says we must earn praise. We're conditioned to want it. We're conditioned to want it. Everybody loves to hear people clapping for them, cheering for them. There is something in our emotional makeup, uh, uh, Reggie, that makes us desire that. But the truth of the matter is, God says, even though you desire it, you have to do your best and earn it. And when you earn it, God says, you'll get it. You'll get it. And that's what he was trying to teach him. God says that we're going to protect ourselves from feeling we deserve recognition. Then this is a tool I need you to take yourself and give to your children. Then you must learn to consider other people more important than yourself. All right? You got to learn how to celebrate other folks. When you learn how to clap and cheer for everybody else, then you'll be putting yourself on a pathway to have a healthy relationship with them and to be celebrated yourself when your time comes. When your time comes, some of us do not have a problem sucking all the air out of the room. We want all the praise, all the glory. It's just how we are. While there are others who seem by their makeup to always be clapping and cheering for somebody else. 
always celebrating somebody else. Strange position to be in. Most people think when we get together as a church, all we do is come up here and we sing a few songs, pray a few prayers, take communion every now and then, listen to a sermon, and then we go home. That's what people think church is. Can I tell you? The fellowship of believers is so much more important than all of that. If COVID didn't teach you anything else, if COVID didn't teach you, we could get on, on the video feed every Sunday still, and we could do all of those things still today. But there is something that's so much more important, and that is me being part of you. That's why we get together. We get together to fellowship. We get together so I can encourage you and you can encourage me. We get together so I can celebrate you, so I can know what's going on, so I can be a part of your life. And when you miss that in the church, then you're missing, in my opinion, the most important part of the church. Fellowship is crucial. Being in people's lives is crucial. You cannot be a lone believer in a congregation and be healthy. You got to be vulnerable enough to let folk know this was a tough week for me. And you got to let them come into your space and say, let me pray for you. Let me let you know that what happened in your week is important enough for me to invoke the Lord's presence in your life so that you don't have another week like the one you had last time. That's important. Fellowship is a part of being in here and it is an essential ingredient to our Christian journey. And when you eliminate fellowship, you have a shell of a church relationship. It's so much bigger than that. God takes our honor, and he deserves it. We gather here to celebrate and honor each other, too. And that's so, so important. Yolanda, when you've been through a tough week, when life has been beating you down every single day of the week, when it seems like you can't do nothing to get it right, what joy it is to walk into a place and people are just ecstatic to see your face. When they're just ecstatic to know who you are. When they're ecstatic to say, I couldn't wait to see you this week. Not because I had anything to tell you necessarily. I just love being around you. You make my spirit joyful because of your presence. And I know it matters because when someone is taken from us, we walk into this place and we mourn a little bit because their presence doesn't go their physical presence isn't with us anymore. I can't tell you how many mornings I sit up in the path to study and I hear the boards creak as somebody walk in and I think it's just. can't tell you how many times when I realize he won't be creaking the boards no more. That does something to me. For those of you who don't know who Jug is, he was the chairman of our deacons and he went home to glory a couple years ago. But I expect him because he come in specifically to encourage me before I come down here and preach most Sunday morning. It matters. It matters. It matters how we deal with other folk. Jesus taught us that if you want to be great, then you need to make serving other people the work you do. He taught us 
that the title rabbi was good. You can call him that. You can call him teacher. But the one that's most important for Arthur is that we call one another brother. How about this? It wasn't until they were showing out, embarrassing themselves in public when everybody else was watching them and they finally understood that this conflict that they had was an embarrassment to both of them. And they got up and they ran away together because they had embarrassed themselves. What you don't see in this clip, and if you watch the show longer, is this one thing that Randall says to Kevin, that was the first time you ever called me your brother. When we on the floor embarrassing ourselves, in front, on the ground embarrassing ourselves in front of everybody. When was the last time you embraced the folk in your family? Let them know. I love you. I love you. You kept me up all night growing up snoring, but I love you. I know you used to take all the cookies before I got in there and hide them, but I love you. You used to wear my clothes and stretch them out, but I love you. Let it go. Whatever it was that you thought was problematic, I wish Cain had listened to the Lord, but he didn't. He didn't. He took counsel of himself. And when you take counsel of yourself, you have a bad counsel. You need to let somebody in your space who can help you get into a place. The greatest among the people who are with us are those who would be our servant. You can start by being a servant to those who are in your own house. And I want to tell you this. The only recognition that really matters is that God allows us be serving to one another. You want to love somebody? Show them how much they mean to you. That doesn't mean empty your bank account and give it to them. It simply means be a friend when they need a friend. Be a listening ear when they need a listening ear. Greet them with a sincere greeting. Every now and then, be vulnerable enough to let them know that your life isn't as perfect as you seem to make it. Are you, are you courageous enough to do that? Yeah. Don't let them hear your business in the street before you got courage enough to tell them yourself that they're your friend. You tell them, I just want you to know that this is what's going on with you. And since you're my friend, I wanted you to hear it from me first. That cuts out a whole lot of love people. We got to realize the world is watching us. One of the problems we have here in church the reason why people won't come to church is because they watch how we do church. And they watch how we treat the ones who are in the household of faith now. And they can't imagine that they'll be treated any better than we treat the ones who are already in the Somebody's listening to you. Somebody's watching you, just like those folk on that clip were standing around watching these brothers go at it. Somebody's watching you and your brother or your sister. May not be your biological, may be your Christian brother or sister, but they're watching you don't care. And so I came to tell you today, great opportunity for you to change how you have expectations. Today is the day to turn over the movement. Today is the day to approach life differently. I want to invite you to do so 
One of the ways that I know that you can do it is by accepting the gift of fellowship and salvation that comes from Jesus Christ. Because it's impossible to accept that gift without appreciating what he's done in the first place. He came not because he had to, but because he wanted to. He died not because he had to, but because he wanted to. God resurrected him not because he had to, but because he wanted to. And he, he resurrected him for you and for me so that we too might have a right to the tree of life. I find it ironic that God's punishment for Cain when he killed his brother was to deny him the product of his work. Think about this. Cain was a farmer and he was used to automatically getting the bounty from the ground that God allowed to grow. And God said to him, no longer will the ground yield its fruit to you. In other words, you'll be a farmer who can't farm. Cain understood that that basically meant that God had withdrawn a measure of his fellowship from you. So you're going to work for it now. All the things you didn't do before, the stuff you took for granted, you got to work for it now. If you're going to grow two potatoes, you got to plant fifth to get them out. God made it work. Can I tell you, don't expect that if you've been having bad relationships, that it's automatically going to turn over. You may have to work for it. You may have to take more than you naturally would, but I cannot tell you it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it to have that friendship. And so now, as our friends stand and sing behind us, the doors of our church are wide open. Whosoever will, let them come right now. Candidates for baptism, transfers of membership, whatever the case may be, we're waiting for.